Yo, Season Screamings. Speaking of Season Screamings, we're going to be at Season Screaming in Pasadena at the Season Screamings convention <laughs> December 17th through 19th. Yeah, so come on by if you want like a free sketch. Yes, and we'll also have Mystery Bears. And Zach, you know, I think we've got another special event coming up. What <sighs> might that be? Well, closing out December with the rest of the Halloween series will mark the new year and our 50th episode. <gasps> so, if you want to ask us any questions for the episode, go ahead and email mattmatezach at gmail.com or message us on Instagram at mattmatezach or twit, tweet at us at, at mattmatezach. What do you have to say? you have any announcements, Samurai? Oh, no. Oh. He's got a lot of opinions about the Halloween franchise, so... There you have it. Mm-hmm. I agree. Welcome to season three of Matt McZack Watch Horror Movies. Return to Haddonfield with the Horror Bros on their quest to watch the entire saga of Mikey Myers from the brand new Horror Lair. So you, dear listener, can witness the blackest eyes, the devil's eyes. Are you too high for this? Hello, I'm your good big boy, Matt. And I'm your skinny menace, Zach. And I made him watch a horror movie. Kink. <laughs> you don't have to make the noise. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you have to. Yeah, you're right. Technical. You're right. Fair enough. Yeah, just like Ian McGregor. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> My hero. He is the best. <laughs> but yeah, welcome to Mad Max. Watch horror movies. <laughs> what did I make you watch this week, Skinny Menace? Well, big good one. <laughs> you made me watch Halloween six. 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 It's been six of them. Yes. <laughs> Can you believe it, folks? I can't. It's the curse of Michael Myers. <laughs> I think that sums up Zach's feeling on the movie. <laughs> it wasn't Halloween 5. <laughs> Gotta give it that. <laughs> so, Zach, what'd you think of this movie? I had Paul Rudd. Yeah. <laughs> Good summary. Um, <laughs> it wasn't Halloween five. It had Paul Rudd. It was two thousand and three. <laughs> in nineteen ninety five. In nineteen ninety-five. Which is the era of horror that we're starting to get into that I do not like. <laughs> or just good, well, but there's gonna be this nice bright spot here where everything becomes a post scream movie. Uh and they just let Kevin Williamson write everything, including Halloween H2O. <laughs> that means nothing to me. I don't know what that means. That's the next Halloween movie we were watching. Oh, well, yeah, but I don't know who the... Oh, he wrote Scream. Oh, okay. Yeah. There, yeah. there we have it. <laughs> Which, by the way, we're doing Scream after this. Oh, yeah, that's going to be our, our next miniseries. Mm-hmm. Since the new Scream is coming out in January. We did Zach's favorite franchise, now we're doing my favorite, so... And there's yeah. only five of them. Yep. <laughs> Not, it's, it's 2011. And one of them has Carrie Fisher in it, so it can't be all bad. Huh? Get excited, Zach. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. Carrie Fisher and Jay and Silent Bob. <laughs> yeah, you, you had me in the first half. <laughs> I don't even know what. Even even Kevin Smith is like. I have no idea why we're in that fucking movie. <laughs> it, it's wildly inappropriate. <laughs> well, but we're here to talk about Star Halloween Wars. six. Oh, oh, Halloween six. Yeah, that too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, it wasn't Halloween five. I mean, that's really kind of the best thing you can say for this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, I told you before we went into it, this is actually the first Halloween movie I saw when I was like 20 because mm-hmm. uh, AMC actually still does. But at the time, the Rob Zombie movies were coming out. So they were doing Halloween marathons for mm-hmm. Halloween, yeah, which they still do every year. They show all the movies. But this year, because it was the f- year of like the first Halloween Rob by Rob Zombie, he got to host it. 
So that was actually kind of neat. He got to do intros for each movie, talk about what he liked. Mm. People from the movies came on and like talked to him, like Daniel Harris and stuff. It was neat. That's cool. Yeah. <sighs> and then I watched this again as an adult, not a 20 year old. I mean, I know a 20 year old is technically an adult, but I was dumb and optimistic about the world. Yeah. It's not a good movie, Zach. <laughs> I went in like, yeah, I'm going to come out of this like ready to defend this movie and be like, you know what? I like it. And you know what? I didn't. <laughs> yeah. But it's not Halloween 5. I, I, was, I was not bored. So this isn't Halloween 5 and Halloween 5 isn't the Blair Witch. <laughs> right. It's a whole rabbit hole. I, I'd, put, I'd put Blair Witch above Halloween 5. <laughs> <laughs> you should listen back to our last episode I think you would too <laughs> nope moving on uh, so yeah Paul Rudd wasn't it yeah no. Paul Steven Rudd um, let's let's do my, my new thing once we're in the weeds with these movies let's find some nice things to say about this film it is Christmas yeah it's exactly Christmas month. it's holiday month um Let's be good boys and not be a naughty boy. Paul, Paul Rudd is in it, but specifically Paul Rudd is in it and he is making choices, which is something that like, I feel like now Paul Rudd's brand is so established. People don't hire him for roles outside of it anymore, mm. which is unfortunate. Yeah. So to see him in this movie kind of like doing like a Donald Pleasance impression for some reason oh, is the, like wild. By the way, he's playing Tommy Doyle. Tommy Doyle, yes. <laughs> Which I was not aware of until they said his I name. I didn't want to tell you. It's pretty good. Yeah. He's like cracked out. <laughs> Tommy Doyle. I like the take on Tommy Doyle in this movie. He's the like, he fills the role of uh, Jamie Lee Curtis in Halloween 2018. Yeah. Of like, I've been preparing for Michael all these years. Which kind of like, that tracks. Yeah. Sure. You know? Yeah. I mean, even in Halloween Kills, that's the route they went with the character, yeah. just in a different way. Yeah. He was more like, I won't forget instead of yeah. like, I've been preparing. Right. But I, I like I take him character, you know. Mm-hmm. I like Paul Rudd. Um, I like the way that they shoot Michael Myers in this. He's stays largely relegated, like to the shadows, and there's some kind of cool shots of him like emerging from darkness. Like largely, the way they shoot him is effective in otherwise bad scenes. <laughs> The friend group and people that they surrounded in this movie were not bad. Yeah, I, I, I think liked over, all of them. Overall, the characterization in this movie is is strong. Like, there's, yeah. there, I feel like there's a good screenplay hiding in this movie, and we'll get into that in the behind the scenes. I think. Yeah, I liked Uncle Tim. Shout out to the elusive exclusive Uncle yeah. Tim. Sub Tim, <laughs> <laughs> who were drinking rum chata eggnogs, which I learned from him. Oh. Uncle Thank Tim. you, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, like all the characters that were like, other than that abusive, awful dad. But even that's like a good performance. And yeah. like, I understood that character yeah. and his motivations, unlike yeah. everything about five, where I was like, why is this person doing that? Yeah. I, the only character that I was not a fan of was the uh, discount H- Howard Stern, just because it is. It, radios radio it ages people irritate this, me it ages this movie uh pretty yeah. strongly yeah. it's the one thing that you're like oh it's definitely 1995 yeah <laughs> yeah i was just like oh, it okay. is also weird to think back to a time where it was like you know howard stern he's nothing but inappropriate nobody likes him he's so edgy and like now we were talking about like oh you mean the largely like the nicest judge on america's got talent is like what most kids would know him <laughs> as now <laughs> yeah um yeah also because like i didn't know his name was barry and then like, <laughs> they're like oh we gotta wait for barry i'm like who sorry is that their friend Come on, zach barry kicks ass <laughs> I do, I do want a shirt now though that just says Barry. We'll get me one that says Barry kicks ass, and we can get you one that says Cops do it by the book, and we can be side uh, characters from Halloween movies. I don't think I want to be caught wearing that shirt. <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you. Touche. <laughs> um, 
nice things. Um, we each said one. Let's. Uh, all right. So, <laughs> Zach, I miss Dick Warlock. <laughs> I miss him so much. The Michael. The in this Michael movie in this movie bad. walks like an NPC in a video game. Just, I'm gonna get you. <laughs> but it's what I we were talking about earlier. The difference between this and like Halloween Five. This doesn't quite become so bad it's good, but it almost gets there in some parts because it's making choices, mm -hmm. just the wrong ones. Whereas let's, a movie like Halloween 5, no choices were made. Things just happened. No, 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 no. <laughs> I would rather rewatch this than Halloween 5. Oh, in a heartbeat. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would almost revisit this before I would watch like Halloween 4 even. Yeah. I would say so too. Like this movie is at least crazy. Whereas those yeah. Halloween 4 is just kind of a remake of Halloween yeah it's a good remake but yeah but if i want to remake a halloween i'll watch halloween 2018 yeah <laughs> like, now that you say that halloween kills or <laughs> halloween 2018 even halloween you're like that would be a wild take <laughs> <laughs> halloween 2018 and halloween kills oh gee uh halloween 2 Halloween three, Halloween six, five or six, four, five. I, I, I think our lists are getting closer and closer to each other <laughs> as like you have to reconcile with like, oh my God, these movies are all sequels to each other. <laughs> each one can make the last one better or worse. Halloween five made Halloween four worse. <laughs> yeah, so I, I'd probably go OG Halloween 2018 three kills six four five. Oh, and, oh wait i left out two i, I put two above six mm -hmm. so yeah because like this one at least has like paul rudd and like fun stuff like hey is that paul rudd and yeah. Halloween four has none of that <laughs> a dude's head explodes in this movie Zach. oh yeah we, should, we did watch the theatrical cut uh so if you're like okay. why didn't his head explode in mine that means you got the producer's cut which um well more coherent is somehow worse because no head explosions. But if you don't want any coherence, <laughs> let's get into the summary. Yes. Go for it, Zach. Can you summarize that movie? And as always, spoilers on the Cape Fear head. Oh. Welcome to my. Welcome to. I wish I had a fireplace right here so I could be <laughs> like, hey, welcome to the Christmas special. I almost knocked over my lightsaber. <laughs> not a euphemism yeah. um, so we start out with creepy cult shit um, the classic Ari Aster third act is now the first act with um, dicks and cults <laughs> but this time it's a baby dick because um, the, the the niece from the last movie is a adult and has a baby and is it Michael's? I don't know uh, they did not clarify which I'm glad they did not clarify <laughs> up to interpretation uh, she tries to escape with the baby, but uh, she dies. Michael kills her in a gruesome way. Um, and then Paul Rudd lives across the street from the Strodes. Confused? I am. Uh, apparently the Strodes had, or I don't know who's, I don't know who they're related to. Cousins, uncles, something like that. Uh, they live in Michael's house now. And we have parents, a daughter, her kid and a son and the dad's an asshole and abuses them but the son is like hearing voices like michael and pulls a knife on him which appropriate response to uh, your grandpa abusing your mom appropriate yeah, um, fully appropriate and uh paul rudd finds the baby uh and then brings him home and names him steven for some reason <laughs> and it's just papa rudd now um and uh he saves the daughter Astrode and her kid uh, by bringing him them over to his house and uh, a lot of things happen and I'm not sure where this movie goes a lot of people die there's a fake Howard Stern at one point and he dies and Michael kills a lot of people and then for some reason we end up back at the mental institution that Michael was at that which was actually just like a cover-up for the cult shit um, and like Everyone dies, uh, except Loomis, uh, <laughs> the main girl, Paul Rudd, and her, and her kid, and the baby. 
and uh, they kill Michael, but Loomis goes back and Michael's mask is just there and then you hear Loomis screaming and then it's like, in memory of Donald Pleasance. So, I, I don't know. Yep. <laughs> There's a lot of seizures cool. induced during this movie. Yeah. Yeah. Not good. I didn't. I do not like the nineties and two thousands for filmmaking. <laughs> not a good but time. That stuff with like flashes and things you can do with like a purpose and intent. It can have a reason. Not, not just <laughs> like they do it in Saw. And one, it's because they had like no budget, so they needed to stretch out scenes for time. Mm-hmm. But it's also used during traps specifically mm-hmm. to be like oh you're disoriented like the character in the trap you're panicking mm-hmm. everything's coming at you in flashes and waves and in this it'll be like paul rudd is walking down a hall <laughs> we need to cut to a different <laughs> a different scene so transition yeah <sighs> <laughs> let's get into it zach oh. yeah. so this movie movie opens on um maybe michael myers incestuous pedophilic child we do not know. Yeah. Um, and it's not Daniel Harris even playing her, so that's upsetting. No. Which uh, made it very confusing when they cut between her and the new Strode girl, because I was like, wait, right. they look like the same white woman who's who. <laughs> yeah, white people, man. <laughs> we all look like. <laughs> am I talking or am I mad? <laughs> even he can't tell. <laughs> <coughs> Sorry. Let me choke on my eggnog. <laughs> I choked on my eggnog. So just, like you said, I choked on my eggnog. <laughs> now this all has to stay in, doesn't it? <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, I so that's weird. Um it is nice to finally like see all the cult stuff. I actually don't mind the cult stuff in this movie. Because it's what was set up in the last one, so... I just don't like it because it makes Michael, like, this weird, like, Terminator yeah. with a purpose. I mean, I just, like, I don't like it, but... I like that we got elaboration and not just confusing imagery. Yeah. <laughs> where th- we have to call the cowboy pin. <laughs> yeah, like, I'm, oh, okay, you know. And tying it back to Smith's Grove is kind of cool that the Smith's Grove is all a cover for the cult. Yeah. And, you know, Dr. Wynn from the original Halloween is the, is the man in black. You know, I thought he so. was, the, when you looked at me, we were like, oh, I thought he was the cop from the last movie. My <laughs> <laughs> people, we all look the same. Well, it doesn't help that this is not the guy who played Dr. Wynn in Halloween 78. Yeah. This is just another good character actor. Yeah. He's fine in this movie. Um, <laughs> he does what he needs to do. I see him in other stuff. He's always good. Uh, but I, I like that there are a lot of callbacks to the original Halloween in this movie. That's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Like this was definitely a movie written by a guy who knew who Dr. Wynn from Halloween was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and we'll get into, we'll get into how they fucked over the screenwriter on this movie, man. Oh, no. There's so much. <laughs> uh, then we meet the world's worst family. Um, but Hey, Paul Rudd's across the street being creepy mm-hmm. and he finds a baby and names it steven very confusing that whole thing in the beginning yeah they didn't they, they explained nothing no no <laughs> this movie is a little hard to talk about because i'm like I mean, things just happen and it's inexplicable yeah. but kind of entertaining <laughs> like <laughs> like like what we talked about last time this movie feels like so, so the niece is in a cult, and then she has a baby, and then Paul Rudd finds it, and then he names it uh, Stephen, and then oh, uh, 100. yeah, this is an Anthem movie, yeah. as most bad movies pretty much are. Yeah, but uh, yeah, you know, uh, Paul Rudd's a creep in this movie, I guess. Which I thought is what they were doing, but then it was like, oh, he's actually Tommy, and he's protecting them from because they live in the Myers house. Where was he so, several Halloweens ago? Who knows? <laughs> Not, those weren't Strodes. He doesn't give a fuck about them. <laughs> this one's for you, Lori. Yeah. <laughs> One thing that I don't like 
about this whole time era of movies from like mid nineties to like two thousands is they're incapable of having more than one color in any given shot. It's all just monotone orange or blue or green. Yeah, I would say up and through like two thousand six, that's like a real problem. Yeah. Because like it's right when color correcting really becomes like digital color correcting mm. becomes a thing. And it can be used to 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 great extent or evil purposes. You know, like the Matrix does it to distinguish the real world and the Matrix. Yeah. The Matrix has that green tint to it, and the real world has very like soft blues and warm reds. And then they everyone else saw that and was like, the Matrix looks cool. Let's well, do that. Well, the, the one that everybody <laughs> saw was Oh Brother, we're out there where everything is sepia, because it's supposed to look like an old timey movie. <laughs> and this movie said, like, nah. What if we just did it? Because we can. <laughs> <laughs> what if we got the same color light for every single room? No, nothing else. Right. Or this might even be pre-digital color correcting, so they're like really going out of their way to make everything blue. <laughs> this movie is so fucking blue. Well, it was like different color. Like sometimes it'd be just all green or all orange or all blue. <laughs> None of them mixed ever. Yeah. But Loomis is back. <laughs> Loomis is back. And a he's... very restrained Donald Pleasance. Yeah. Who doesn't get a lot to do. I would say they're really setting up Tommy to be the new yeah. Dr. Loomis. Just wacky, crazy guy. Yeah. Guy obsessed with Michael who's going to save the day. And then he became Ant-Man. Yep. Uh, <laughs> and then... Uh, <laughs> yeah, like... I think that is a pretty big sin of this movie is just like not it, not using Donald Pleasance. Well, yeah, I mean, that's a bummer. But I also I mean, he died while they were like editing this movie. No. So I know he, you know, he had some health issues and stuff. He's a little reluctant to come back because as we talked about on our last episode, he did not like five. Yeah. I mean, who did? <laughs> but the original screenplay for this movie, he said, was one of the best scripts he's ever read. And oh, so he man. signed on. Oh, no. I just get it. <laughs> I know, should we just go into behind the scenes? Like, let's, let's, let's real quick. We'll just rock it through something. Oh, that dude's head exploding is pretty fucking cool. Yeah. Um, and that's from the reshoots that ruined the rest of the movie. So yeah. hey, good job reshoots. Um, he did one thing. <laughs> yeah, I mean Michael, real feminist icon. You know, he mm-hmm. kills the abusive husband. Yeah. I mean, he also kills the abused family. But, he did uh, kill the mom first. It's a, it's a mixed message. Um, <laughs> he did ha- hand uh, the brother a towel while he was taking a shower. Man, he's uh, got to get out to pranks and shenanigans. Come on. Yeah, a wacky guy. <laughs> okay, in that scene, the the inexplicable lovemaking scene that just happens. Uh-huh. Who lit all those candles? How many candles does it one was, family own? It was Michael. He was setting the mood for them. <laughs> Michael, well, I mean, I want this to be romantic. It's their, it's their last night, you know. <laughs> Michael loves love, as we learned after Halloween Kills. It's true. It's true. He even put them together like Big John and Little John. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and the best thing about this scene, they kill Barry Sims. Mm-hmm. In probably the image that has stuck with me the most from this movie, the little girl getting the blood on her. And she's like, is it raining? <laughs> it's warm. Wow, it's raining red. <laughs> to which I'm like, this time around, I was like, where is your parents? I know she was saying mommy. Like the second that I turn around and see my kid like getting blood rained on them, I'm like, you should move. <laughs> Even if I think it's like part of the carnival or something, because yeah. it's, it's Halloween. Sure. Yeah. I'd be like, oh, clearly someone's about to play a prank. Like mm-hmm. you should move. And then a dead body falls down and she's still just there. <laughs> then she picks her up like a football player. Yeah. Just don't. But I, I do it, love yeah. the image of the, the body in the tree wrapped in lights. I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. It's my, my second favorite kill in this movie, probably right after head explosion. Oh, yeah, I guess I, I completely forgot that we're doing the favorite kill. <laughs> Did we do that last episode? I don't know, man. <laughs> they all blew no, together. <laughs> no, nothing in five is my favorite anything. <laughs> they all play together at this point. Yeah. Uh, I mean, head explosion, I guess. I mean, it's pretty sweet. <laughs> 
I believe I clapped my hands together and yelled 10 out of 10. Yeah, he, he said, this movie's about to get 10 out of 10. That happened. And then the rest of the movie happened. Oh, like, yeah. oh never mind. Uh, then more crazy cult stuff happens for some reason. Oh, my God. That the movie refuses to explain, even though there's a reason in the script. So a series of events happened in this movie that I was taken aback by, and I... Uh, I was rendered useless, and all I could say was, wait, wait, no, wait. So when the cult finds uh, the strode lady and Paul Rudd, they're chilling in the house. Uh, the, the therapist guy is revealed to be the cowboy man. And then a bunch of dudes in, like, all black morph suits with just just, just their face showing. Looking goofy as hell. Right, not the cool hooded robes from the beginning of this movie, uh, for some reason. They're ninjas now, but just like... <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're goons. So, they show up, and the strode lady runs upstairs to find the old lady that lives there holding the baby... And she just like pulls out a knife and's like, gotcha, bitch. And then the goofy looking motherfuckers come up. And then she just goes, Wah! and just Texas Chainsaw is out the window. Which I, I'm sure <laughs> is only there to be a Texas Chainsaw homage because it affects the story in no way. And then and then it it just like fades back and, and cuts to Paul Rudd and Lewis standing there. They just let them go. Yeah. Ah, the two people who can stop us. Better not take them with us. Yeah. And then the cult that Michael works for or with, or they work for him, unclear. Just he murders all of them and lets Paul Rudd, the baby, and the girl go. After they shoot him up with some green goop and they hit him with a pipe. He doesn't try to chase them some more. And then maybe Loomis dies? Unclear. <laughs> that's the episode folks bye <laughs> what happened with the screen right in this and this movie is still better than Halloween 5 <laughs> that's the sad part <laughs> that's the sad part yeah I mean this movie still is more coherent and a better movie than Halloween 5 just gonna, gonna cozy on up <laughs> alright so tell me some stories man so after Halloween 5, I mean, there's a big gap because 5 is, I think, 89. And so it's like six years. Uh -huh. um, Mustafa Akkad actually, you know, who has become like the tourist voice behind these films as the producer uh -huh. for better or worse. Um, that was funny when it said his name presents. Yeah. Not John Carpenter. <laughs> Carpenter's gone. He sold he sold Mustafa Akkad his stake in the franchise. Yeah. But John Carpenter actually directed the movies and did something. But, you know. I, I I give it up for Mustafa Akkad. He's the one who kept getting these movies made. True. You know what I mean? Like, and he's the person who, who, if you look up old interviews with him, he genuinely cares about Halloween. Okay. You know, that's his, like, one big hit movie he ever really produced. So he becomes like, well, I'm going to run this franchise. My name is attached to it. I want to mm -hmm. make sure it's watchable and it turns a profit. <laughs> like, arguably, he's successful at one, not the other. Uh -huh. <laughs> But then, uh, so a between five and six, uh, at one point they're meeting writers for Halloween six and, uh, this guy, Michael Ferrans comes to him and he's a huge Halloween fan. And the thing that he presents to him along with like his rough pitch is he's made a Halloween Bible. Mm -hmm. He's even gone through the like novelizations of Halloween movies and pulled stuff from those to say like, we'll make this canon. We'll leave this out. We'll incorporate all the cult stuff that you've been hinting at and we'll do callbacks to the first one. Like this is a trilogy almost. And this is the third part. And he does all this stuff. And he has this Bible. That's like the timeline of all of Halloween. Hmm. Um, and Mustafa says like, okay, like we'll, we'll call you back if we're interested. And he goes like, Oh, here you like keep the Bible. Mm -hmm. um, and then too much time goes by and the rights are lapsing. Hmm. So Mustafa Khan has to be able to put up the money to buy the rights back. But there's competition for it because another studio, I think Universal maybe, 
has John Carpenter who's saying, I want to make a new Halloween movie. We've done everything we can with Michael on Earth. Michael in space. That's my pitch. I'm John Carpenter. Thank you. <laughs> I think it might be the eggnog. <laughs> the fact that this movie got made and not John Carpenter, Michael in space is making me cry. <laughs> but nobody knows if like Carpenter, if that was actually Carpenter's pitch or if he was just like fucking with people after he lost the rights because then Mustafa Cod teams up with Miramax and their new, uh, like subcategory dimension films who are doing horror movies. They've bought the rights to Hellraiser, you know, and they're looking to get another horror franchise. So they, they outbid Carpenter and Universal and they take over the franchise and Mustafa Akkad immediately says like, I know who to call. We're calling, we're calling Ferenz. I've still been using his Bible while we come up with different ideas for this movie. He's that good. He's the fanboy that I want to give a chance. And he comes in and he writes a script that Mustafa Kod loves. And it is the script that everyone signs on for. That I believe one of the other producers called a script so scary, I literally didn't sleep for two nights in a row. And then the other producers get heavily involved in the film. Two brothers who I won't name. But Zach, if you'll join me in just, just saying fuck you. <laughs> Out into the ether. Fuck you guys. Fuck you guys. Fuck you guys so hard. <laughs> no, it's it's the it's the Weinstein brothers. Um, who are notorious for taking over like even if all the other bad stuff, just as creative people mm -hmm. are notorious for taking control away from anyone that's not one of like the three dudes they discovered. And the three dudes they discovered are Quentin Tarantino, Kevin Smith, and Robert Rodriguez who they also offer every fucking movie to, because those are the only people they know that make good movies. They have, like, no actual eye for fucking talent. I mean, these are the people that once asked Kevin Smith, uh, you know, Robert Rodriguez brings us storyboards. Why don't you bring us storyboards, Kevin? And he had to be like, storyboards for clerks, too? They sit at a counter. That's the movie. What are you talking about? <laughs> and so their idea is, well... We got to pick one of our boys and they offer it to Quentin Tarantino for some reason. Who is like, no, that sounds bad. That sounds like a horrible fit for me. They do this all the time. Like sometimes they are right on the money. Other times they ask, you know, Quentin Tarantino to make a Halloween movie or Kevin Smith to direct Goodwill Hunting. And these creative people have to say, no, that sounds bad. <laughs> to, to, to the credit of both of those guys, to both of those projects, they were like, what are you talking about? No. But they do kind of convince Tarantino, like, what if you create, stayed on as like a creative consultant and you produce the movie with us as like the fifth producer on this project? And he says, like, kind of, okay, um, if it can be my friend, uh, Scott Spiegel. Scott Spiegel, you will know, uh, he co-wrote Evil Dead 2. <laughs> and he's directed two horror movies. One of them is good, and one of them is Hostile 3. Um, <laughs> but at this time, he'd only made the good one called The Intruder that Sam Raimi co-wrote with him and produced. <laughs> and it's kind of a bare bones, back to basics, sort of like a slasher is a slasher is a slasher kind of movie. But it's very well done. <laughs> So he seems like a good fit. Uh, then he talks shit on one of the screenplays that's floating around that is not the Michael Ferenc draft. So they fire him. And then Tarantino walks. And then they get back to Ferenc and his script that's like amazing. And by this point, they've signed on a cast that includes Paul Rudd and Donald Pleasance. They got Pleasance back after he said he'd never do a Halloween movie again, which is pretty cool. Yeah. And then they immediately, the Weinsteins, ask for changes to the script. <laughs> A, again, a script so good that, like, this guy who'd never written a movie before gets handed the Halloween franchise. Um, and they ask for things that are not in this movie, thank God, but things like, can Tommy Doyle use VR to explore the runic magic? 
VR is cool right now. He should use VR. These are the ideas these people are bringing to the table. In 1995? Uh, Nintendo had that headset thing, you know. In 1995. It would have been a whole thing where they go into the internet and explore it using a VR. It would have looked so shitty. It would have... Yeah. And to, to his credit, that's one of the things that Mustafa Akkad is like, yeah, no. <laughs> but like every step of the way, every suggestion they have for sc- screenwriting stuff, because they haven't even hired a director at this point, Mustafa Akkad or Daniel Ferrans have to be like... I no, we, we can't do that. And they keep losing fights. And they keep on asking him to leave things in that don't make sense anymore. Like A great example of this is like, why does Michael Myers go to the Halloween festival and kill Barry Sims? Because he called him a pussy. <laughs> but why did he go there in the first place to hear him say that? Because he called him a pussy and it's convenient. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But there is like no real, like Daniel Ferrans talks about it in an interview, like a bunch. He's like, there's no reason. Because <laughs> in the original script, the daughter and her son are there, who are part two of the people he's after. Yeah. But then they said like, oh, we want them to stay back at the house so that we don't have to explain how they got back to the house for the cult ambush. And he says, oh, okay, cool. So I'll take out where he kills Barry Sims. Maybe we'll cut that part down. And they say, like, no, we think Barry Sims is funny. Uh, Leave it in. We still want him to get killed by Michael. And he's like, okay, well, I just got to come up with a reason to justify it. And they're like, no, you don't. And he's like, I I do, though. And then they hire director Dave Chappelle. Or Chappell, Chappelle. I don't know. He's a white guy. Uh, (laughs) I was like, Dave Chappelle? I'm not sure how to pronounce his name. It's not spelt exactly the same, but it is still Chapel or Chappelle. So we're I'm not, not sure. talking about Chappelle show. No, no, no. Chappelle. I'll I'll just say Chappelle, <laughs> Chapel for now. Mm. Chapel is kind of like a work for hire dude who also un- fully understands. Like at this point, the Weinstein's are running the table on Hollywood. If I say no to any of their suggestions, I don't have a career anymore. So he just does whatever they tell him. So that means Mustafa Akkad and Ferrans have like no ally in the creative choices. But there's even stuff that he kind of pushes back against. Like their suggestion, again, what if he used VR? Um, in 1995. Right. <sighs> uh, and then, so they finish the movie. And it's, if you watch the producer's cut, because that's the cut that Akkad wanted. It's, like I say, it's less fun because it's not as over the top with the violence and stuff. But it's a more, way more coherent movie. Like everything like makes sense. It's a little bit less and then. Mm-hmm. But it means that some questions that you just don't want answered get answered. Like they confirm, oh, that kid is Michael Myers' kid. But... Like, why is Paul Rudd at that hospital? Because in this cut, uh, Jamie Lloyd doesn't die. She dies at the hospital. But the Weinsteins want more gore, so now she has to not die at the hospital. So then they say, like, hey, so we should reshoot a new reason for Paul Rudd to be at the hospital. And they're like, nah. (laughs) And it's all stuff like that to the point where they completely reshoot the last, last act of the movie with the cult coming in. From the point where they leave the house, it is completely different in the two cuts. In the producer's cut, the cult explains why they're there, why they want the baby, and why they want her son. Here we go. This is the thing. So the cult of Thorn, as Paul Rudd hinted earlier in the movie, picks a child, and that child is cursed. And that is like their sacrifice to their gods, and then he must kill his bloodline. So now we have it confirmed by the cult. Michael is trying to kill the baby because that's the last of his bloodline. Then he can die. And your son is hearing the voices. So he will be our next sacrifice to be cursed. And he will have to kill his bloodline, which is just you. Because Michael killed the rest of your family. (laughs) And I'm like, oh, that at least 
makes sense. So there's a story to this movie yes. that wasn't in the movie. Yeah, and like Michael doesn't kill the cult. And then, again, as hinted in the first act of the movie and would have been expounded upon in the last act, once all of like the cult members are are taken out by like Paul Rudd and the the daughter, I mean they don't like take them out, but like they're escaped from them. It's just them, Wynn and Loomis, you know. And Wynn says, "I wanted you to take over for me. You're going to be to this little boy what I was to Michael Myers, Loomis." And then Michael escapes. He puts Wynn in the mask. It's not just laying on the floor. So everybody thinks Wynn is Michael until Loomis takes off the mask and realizes Michael has gotten away. And then to hint that the cult of Thorn has succeeded, the tattoo begins to burn itself into Loomis's arm. And now he is the protector of that little boy who is the new Michael, meaning that off camera, Michael has succeeded. This movie was... It made sense, This movie was going to be good? (laughs) I mean, this version of it, even the screenwriter says, like, still isn't, like, a good movie. It's not as good as, like, my original screenplay. It's like poetry, it rhymes. (laughs) Right, like, there's setups and payoffs and things are explained. And the Weinsteins said, no, no. Because they looked at the failure of Halloween 5 financially, which, like, underperformed. It still made money, but underperformed and said oh people don't want that cult shit and they were like you mean the whole movie we just made and they're like yeah 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 that's why there's like weird lines like when they get to the the underground cult compound in the hospital at the end in the last act now it's no longer cavernous and like a cult space and they're doing ritual magic it's like a techno cult where they're doing like weird cutting edge science it's like, what happened to the caves from earlier in the movie? They said, don't use them anymore for the reshoots. It's fine that they're in the beginning, though. Like, they reshot stuff and then didn't reshoot explanations for it, which they are notorious for. I mean, the Weinsteins are the guys that, when they bought the rights to distribute, uh, like, one of Miyazaki's movies, um, it's the most badass thing a 50-year-old animator who's probably never been in a fight has ever done. Um, he sent Harvey Weinstein a samurai sword that said, don't cut my movie. Basically implying, like, I will come to America and kill you. Hell yeah, Miyazaki. Yeah, he's fucking cool. Hell yeah, Miyazaki. Um, Hell yeah, But this Miyazaki. movie, nobody did that because they wanted that Miramax money. Because, again, they're... I would, they're run by Disney. They got Disney money. Uh, and they're, they're on top right now. So you you just do it. I mean, they're two, they're two years away from making Scream, which then adds another guy to their stable of like, oh, uh, just have Kevin write it um, for Kevin Williamson. Uh, but yeah, so they just completely screw this movie over. Probably would have been better, not great, but like at least better in at a, least the producer's it makes cut. Sense. Yeah, less fun because they do up like the gore and stuff, which is kind of what makes this movie watchable. It's like, oh, there's you know, there's a little suspense here, there's some cool gore, there, you know, and all of that was absent from the producer's cut. No one's head explodes, so it's kind of a fair trade. Um, <laughs> <laughs> It's a fair trade that the Strode lady calls her friend uh, and she picks up in a house that has no power and that's been a whole plot line this whole time. I know. I bet the power was on in the original cut and in the reshoots because his head blew up. Now they can't have power. And then they just forgot to shoot something explaining how the phone worked. You know, it's stuff like that. It's, it's just lazy. Yeah. But, you know... You know, I got his name wrong. His name is not Dave Chappell. It's Joe Chappell, the director, Chappell or Chappelle. Uh, He goes on to keep working for the Weinsteins. Mm -hmm. He gets to make like three more movies with them. Movies he wants to make, not a for hire job, you know? Yeah. So like, I, I get why he was like, I'll just keep my head down and like show up and. You know, I'll get as a director, he's getting these actors to make some choices. 
he got Paul Rudd to really hone in his future Paul Rudd and go, oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. But he is doing like a Loomis impression this whole movie, right? Yeah. Like even the accent. Yeah. Oh, that's another inexplicable choice. You know the opening narration that Paul Rudd has? And it's like, wow, oh, that really sounds like Loomis. In the script, it's from Loomis's diary, and they recorded Donald Pleasance reading it. And then one of the producers said, like, we can't introduce it with an old guy talking. So they re-recorded it with Paul Rudd, who does a fine job. But it's, again, just like, why? John Carpenter, if you still want to make that <laughs> Michael in Space movie, we got a Darth Vader pitch for you. <laughs> Oh my god, Darth Vader versus Michael Myers? Oh yeah. Call us. <laughs> Please. <laughs> I mean, just in general, like, call me, say what's yeah. up, I'd love to be your friend. Yeah, what's up? I'll so pretend to like video games for you and everything. I do so, like video games. There you go. I will not pretend for you. You didn't agree with that review he gave of, uh, what was his last Assassin's Creed, though, so he's gonna be mad. What did I say? What happened? It was like Assassin's Creed or something, and he was like, the return of the franchise. It's good again. And you're like, no, it's not. Uh, I don't even remember what game it was. You were like, it's like the worst game this year. What the fuck is John Carpenter talking about? It's me. I forget 90% of the things I say on this podcast. I don't know. This was off pod. So. Oh, was it? Yeah, this, was, this was peak pandemic. So yeah. <laughs> blocked that entire year out of my memory. Yep. <laughs> I for, I just remembered yes, literally yesterday we watched Guns Akimbo together. We did. Good movie. I because uh, the girlfriend from that just got cast as Sabine in the Ahsoka show. Oh, nice. So that, that let oh, me down it. like, yeah. oh, yeah, Guns of Kimba. Did I watch that with Matt? <laughs> we did. It was yeah. fun. Yeah. Everybody watch Guns of Kimbo. It's better than this movie. Damn, Graphic Cliff's in it. Yeah. It's great. It's very good. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I think, um, like, Fox and Wine Scenes is something... You're going to hear me say a lot for all of the rest of these movies because they are the producers because they own the rights to Halloween from here on until 2018. Because that's, you know, when they lose control of the company Uh, because they're horrible people. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Sure are. Yep. (laughs) I'm just going to be wrapped in my Halloween 1978 blanket. The year this franchise wouldn't hurt me. <laughs> Take me back to 78, man. Was that a head explodes in this movie? I don't care. <laughs> My head is going to explode. The next one is good because the next one is Halloween H2O and it's the return of Laurie Strode played by Jamie Lee. Yeah. And she becomes the authoritative voice on it Thank and by that point She's too powerful for the one scenes to Hell be like, yeah. you have to do what we say. She can be like, I'm Jamie Lee fucking Curtis. <laughs> I will drown you in yogurt. <laughs> but my favorite thing I ever saw was uh, during the pandemic, they did like a, a Twitter, like watch along of 2018 mm-hmm. where a lot of like the cast and crew were watching it, including her. And somebody tweeted at her, like, you're just like some sellout. You only made this movie because you needed money. You don't even like horror movies. Um, she's in like a ton of them, but uh, like you don't even like in, in right. Psycho. You don't even like horror movies. You only did this for the money and to force politics into Halloween. Because she was at the time saying like, "Oh, this is kind of the Me Too Halloween. It's about women taking she's their power still back." Still saying that. Yes. <laughs> But her her response on Twitter to this person was like, I've made more money from selling fucking yogurt than you'll ever see in your life. I didn't do this money. I didn't do this movie for money. (laughs) (laughs) Jamie Lee Curtis rules, dude. Jamie Lee Curtis calls, too. You're great. Let's all hang out, guys. Let's be friends, please. please. Hell yeah. Hell yeah, dude. (laughs) Yeah, Halloween 6, The Curse of Michael Myers. Uh, any final thoughts? I'm broken. <laughs> yeah, this movie is one of, like, the most notorious, like, bad behind-the-scenes movies of all time, so. I, uh, I was, like, <sighs> Halloween 5 broke me, but, like, watching the movie, this has broken me 
from the behind the scenes stuff. Yeah, Halloween 5, like all the stuff that went wrong, you can actually kind of point to the creative team and be like, uh, they just they should have just made stronger choices and they kind of just made a middling movie. This, it's like, oh, two monsters ruined a film. <laughs> like <laughs> The fact that we were robbed from Michael in space by John Carpenter. I don't know if it would be good, but it would be care. different. It's John so. Carpenter doing Michael Myers in space, baby. Oh, buddy, you haven't seen his space movie, so. <laughs> I don't care. It's Michael Myers in space by John Carpenter, baby. I'm uh, just going to give you a homework assignment. Watch Ghosts of Mars from the late 90s starring Ice Cube. Oh. Um, and tell me if you still want John Carpenter to make a space movie. Find out how that goes next week when we watch Halloween h 2 I'm just kidding. I love you, John. That movie's totally watchable and fun. Uh, <laughs> I'll let you know next week, John. So keep listening. Yeah. <laughs> or give us a call. I'll let you know. <laughs> Bye. Oh, wait. You got to do. Sorry. Where can everybody find you, Zach? Don't find me. Don't <laughs> <laughs> find me. Oh, my God. You can find me curled up in this blanket. Where can they find you, Matt? You can find me on everything as I drop paintings. <laughs> everything. And then they, we play the thing about the podcast, and you say, uh, What was the quote? I had one. I got one if you want to do it. You can do it, Matt. <laughs> we can do a Barry Sims quote. Okay. Go for it. What do you normally say? Just and remember? And remember. And remember, does she wear uh, crotchless panties and bark like a dog? <laughs> Bye. Bye, I guess. <laughs> As the Vox fades, we thank you for listening to this bizarre journey into cinema. If your morbid curiosities hunger for more... You may summon our horror bros at MacMakeZack.com, on Twitter and Instagram at MacMakeZack, or if you dare, say George Lucas three times into a mirror for a visit from our phantom menaces. You may now return to your mortal plane of existence. Until next week. As Matt makes Zack sit through another chilling apparition. Mwahahahaha! <laughs>